Hello and welcome to Inside Music, episode number 66. I'm your host, James Shoutwell, and on this episode of the podcast, I'm talking with my good pal, Brian Logandales, vocalist and songwriter for The Somerset. Now, a year ago, if I had tried to do this exact same podcast, it was very likely I would have gotten a no, not because Brian wasn't available, but because the future of the summer set was up in the air. Yes, just a year ago, even less if you really, when you get down to the nitty-gritty details, the summer set were not sure if they wanted to continue on as a band. They had spent the last couple of months being on vacation, seeing the world, and attempting to start piecing together ideas for a new album, but nothing had really clicked in a way that made them feel like, yes, we absolutely have to continue. And then Brian wrote this song, figure me out and if you if you're a fan of the somerset you've already heard it and if not you'll probably hear a little bit of it here in this episode but as soon as brian wrote this song he and the rest of the band started to feel like there was more to their story there was something more they needed to share with the world and the result of those conversations and all that work and thought and concentration and everything they've done up to this point is stories for monday an eclectic and infectious and incredibly catchy collection of pop rock songs that not only give you exactly what you expect from the summer set but push the band forward in ways that you would never have thought possible Brian and I talk about everything in this conversation. We talk about the meeting where the band decided their fate. We talk about the feelings he had going into it and coming out of it. We talk about where he's at now as a songwriter. We talk about his foray into writing songs for other people and how some of that material actually ended up being on Stories for Monday. We talk about everything that's been happening in the life of the Somerset over the past two years, and it is thrilling. I never thought I'd have a chance to interview Brian, especially in this kind of setting, but here we are, and it's all thanks to you, the listeners. Before we get to the podcast, I do need to tell you about our sponsor. This episode of Inside Music, just like every episode of Inside Music, is only made possible by Holix, the music industry's number one digital promotional distribution system. And what that means is that Holix works with record labels, managers, publicists, and independent artists all over the world to keep new music free of piracy. If leaks do occur, Holix has state-of-the-art tools in place that can not only stop the spread of files online, but also track down those responsible. For more information on Holix and access to a free 30-day trial, visit holix.com. That's H-A-U-L-I-X.com. I also want to shout out our podcast because we have a Twitter account, and it's one that you need to follow, at Inside Music Pod. That's at Inside Music P-O-D. You can send us questions, you can send us suggestions, and you'll find out a whole bunch of news about the show. You'll know who's coming on before their episode airs, what we're going to talk about, and a whole bunch of other stuff. So please follow and interact with us on there. Now I'm going to play a little bit of music from the new Somerset album, which again, hits stores this Friday, April 1st, and is called Stories for Monday. And then we're going to get to the show. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you enjoy this conversation. And yeah, make sure you come back next week. I'm a bit too pop for the punk kids, but I'm too punk for the pop kids. I don't know just where I fit in, because when I open my mouth, I know nobody's listening. To the words of a prophet, who still can't turn a profit, because I don't fit in with the in crowd, but I'm too Hollywood to go back to my hometown, because they think that I'm famous. Sounds good. How are you doing today, man? I'm doing good. Doing good. Just another Monday morning. <laughs> Do you have any stories for Monday? Not a ton from this weekend. This weekend was pretty low key. We played a show in Missouri. We played a college show in Missouri on Thursday night, and then came home Friday. And I haven't really done anything for the last couple of days except work on more music. So, <laughs> are you somebody that's constantly writing new stuff? Yes and no. Um, I used to always be. And then with this record was very different um, because this record kind of took us a long time. There was a long stretch where I wasn't making music at all. I was just kind of like, like 
stalemated a little bit. We were we came off the road in after Warp Tour in, in August 2014 with the pressure of okay, time to make another album. And I was kind of like, well, why? <laughs> like, I don't I don't know how or okay. what. Like, like not not like why make another album, but this kind of like proverbial i don't know why i'm doing i just kind of had like a melt a little bit of a musical meltdown if you will just putting a lot of pressure on myself about certain songs and just trying to like figure out how to how to grow and where to go next and like what kind of record to make and it was taking a long time and i kept kind of and i ended up just spending most the better part of a year just like traveling a lot running away from making a record and then just kind of stumbling upon new songs along the way um, but then this weird thing happened where now we've written, powered, powered through, wrote a lot of songs. We made a record. I'm very proud of it. And now I can't stop making new songs. So uh, it's almost as if I just want to put another record out right when this record comes out. <laughs> <laughs> Funny how that works. Yeah. Cause now I've got a whole nother batch of a dozen songs. So, Oh yeah. Well, I mean, that's good news for like everyone except for, you know, your recording schedule. It's pretty much good news, yeah, for everyone except for me. <laughs> now I have to wait on good. I hate waiting on good songs. Oh yeah, I can imagine. So when did when did the creation process for this record start? Because I know that it, it kind of had some false starts. So when did it really begin? Um, it's weird because I'm not. It was mostly just more of a conglomerate of false starts. I don't really know if there really was like a beginning <laughs> point because we would kept trying to begin, but. You know, there's like, there's, I mean, there's songs in this record, like Figure Me Out, that were written, like, at, like, a turning point toward the end. Like, Figure Me Out was, like, the last song written for the record, which, by the way, it was still written in, like, July of last year. <laughs> but, uh, um, but then there's songs in the record, like, All In, in Jean Jacket, in Wonder Years, which were songs I actually wrote, like, coming on two and a half, three years ago now, when we weren't even making a Somerset record. I was actually just in L.A., trying my hand at writing songs for other people and collaborating with other producers and like kind of pitching songs to through the network essentially. Um, and those were a couple songs that I had like, like Jean Jacket, for example, was a song that I had written with another artist in mind. And the minute I had that it was written, I was like, yeah, I'm going to, I just, I know I'm going to want to use this one later. Like just the, the time will have to come. And it, and it made its way onto the album, which is awesome. It's, it, I, it's the best song on the album too. So interesting. I, we're gonna get there. We're gonna get there eventually. It's, my, but... it's I think it's it's my favorite song on the record. It's Jean Jacket. So I think mine's all in. So oh, interesting. Okay, cool. I, I don't know why. I feel like I think the best Somerset songs in my mind are the songs that feel very anthemic yet super personal, and that song feels very has cool. a good mixture. Cool. And plus, is that a Blink-182 reference at the end of All In? That's, that, that's a Blink-182 <laughs> reference. It's, it, the, it's surprising. The only reason that was that song was a pitch for a pop punk, for like a, a young like pop punk band. That, and, then we, and then I rewrote the verses for myself. That song was not originally going to be a Somerset song. And I, and the, but the bridge had the Blink-182 reference, and it was very great and catered for them. And then... Um, when it came time to writing my our version, I rewrote the verses, and then I was kind of working on the song with this guy named David Hodges. We were like, God, you know what? The bridge is like, like yeah, I'm 26 now, but like, and it doesn't. I'm not quite as young as like the idea of that. But there's something really wonderfully nostalgic about singing about Blink 182 in the bridge. And honestly, maybe we should keep it. Um, to me, All In was kind of this 
what I also <clears throat> I think people are going to like about All In is it? It's probably the closest song on the record that's kind of an homage to our first album. It's it's probably the closest like old Somerset kind of song that we have, and I think it kind of bridges the gap between where who we are now and what we were when we started. Started. I like that. I think that that's a pretty good summary. I hadn't really considered it that way, but I I do I see it now. I just I just thought it was a fun song. I, I mean I think the entire album's super fun, but that's Thanks. the song that I you know that first listen I was like I gotta hear I gotta hear this one again. Oh, that's awesome. Thank you. <laughs> um, I do feel, I will say right now, we're right off the top, that I think that this is your best album. Woo! And awesome. I, and I've, I used to say that about Legendary, so I think, you know, that's the goal, I guess, to keep releasing your best album. Well, that makes me feel good because, like, there was a long period of time where I wasn't sure how to make a record for me better than Legendary. And that was kind of the plan. And now, so the next one's going to be hard, too, because now I'm just going to sit here on the next record and be like, well, how do I beat Stories from Monday? <laughs> that's but, a good problem to have. It's a it's it's the problem I want to have every time. So I, I read a quote where you said that when you wrote "Figure Me Out," it made all the other songs make sense in the context of the album. Why do you feel that is? Um. So with I guess with that, um, we um, a, the songs of the record had been kind of there was a very disjointed I guess schedule of time or disjointed timeline of when the songs were written, like. There were songs like Jean Jacket that were written two and a half years ago. There were songs like The Night is Young that were written by accident in New York um, when I wasn't planning on writing. I There were songs that were written on like the many trips I made to Mexico over the course of like seven or eight months after, you know, we were on tour for like 17 straight months and I just was fried and was just like going on vacation all the time. But um there were all these songs that were written in all sorts of different places. And like, some were like set like songwriting sessions I'd set up some kind of words or songs that happened by accident. And they all had this thing about them. They all had this, these things that was connecting them, but I didn't, couldn't quite like, it wasn't so much the, that the songs were disconnected before figure me out as much as it was me writing, figure me out to understand how the other songs were connected. It was right there in front of me. I just didn't quite see it that these were all these songs that were kind of about the end of something and the beginning of something else. Um, I think Figure Me Out was the song that helped me understand the other ones. It, it wasn't so much that Figure Me Out changed them as much as it was I was able to like see everything clearer. That makes sense. And I do feel having it at the top of the album kind of lays that out. Like that's what we're going to do for the next, you know, 45 minutes or yeah. whatever. The minute Figure Me Out was written, we knew it was the first song. So. <laughs> okay. Okay. Mm. Now, uh, I want to ask about something that, so I asked Twitter, I was like, if we, if we do this podcast with Brian, what's the first thing you want me to ask? And I got to tell you, like four people said, how many times can he reference Bruce Springsteen in one album? (laughs) Okay. So, and I feel like, I feel like I want to know more about why, why that has become such a theme in your music. And I'd like to hear the story about, you talk about it, figure me out the first time you hear that Bruce, uh, Bruce Springsteen. Can you kind of take us back to that moment in your life? Yes. Well, for starters, there's more Springsteen references on the record than I think people would even catch. <laughs> uh, there are. There's like just mini ones all over the place. <laughs> um, but uh, I think it's mostly in this record. Like, yeah, I reference it on Jukebox in the last record. But like this record, I think this record stemmed a lot from like going back to like my childhood and remembering what I've always thought was great. And I'm such a huge Springsteen fan, but, and that stems from my dad, I guess from both my parents, my parents weren't, um, 
like don't really play like don't play music don't really have any musical talents but they're like really fantastic they have great taste and are really great music fans my dad is just a diehard springsteen fan um so i mean i remember being two years old barely being able to like two or three years old being barely able to walk and i'd be at like springsteen concerts um in detroit with my parents and i had this little plastic so like this silver plastic guitar and i'd run up and down the aisles and like put on a sideshow for the people watching the springsteen show i knew every word and i would be like rocking out along with him and like it was like and to the point where like at there was one show when i was very young where he noticed and had called me and like kind of acknowledged it from stage one time of this little young kid who would just run around with a plastic guitar who just wanted to be him um and then, I mean, as I got older, the Springsteen-ness kind of went away, like, throughout my, through some of my teenage years, like, I started listening to, I started listening to, like, a lot of punk music and et cetera, but, like, eventually it always just kind of came back around to that. And I think this record was kind of about remembering what, remembering and always kind of chasing what I've always thought was great. Um, and I think, like, Figure Me Out, uh, like, was kind of just a course history of my life that took me back to the basement at my parents' house in Michigan where I would just like sit and listen to Born to Run with my dad and I was like three years old. And for some reason that song was just the most adventurous thing in the world to me then. And all of a sudden it is to me again now. You know, I, I've, I've always noticed that theme in your music. And when I heard the multiple references on Stories for Monday, I was like, I love this. I love this because it, it makes the music feel more personal. I feel like I know a little bit more about you because especially the Thunder Road reference on another song where you're like listening to Thunder Road. <laughs> It's it's a nice marketing campaign for Bruce to a new generation because I feel like it, it tells us more about why you write the way you do because well, of your absolutely. references. And that's another good point is I actually read – I don't remember where, but I read an interesting article about Bruce talking about how he was on his fourth generation of fans. Like I'm actually going to go to his show in a couple of days from now. I guess when this is out, I will have already gone. But um, I uh, – I mean Bruce – like my my – dad and my brother just went to a Bruce show in Phoenix um, the other day. And like he, there's, there's articles about him talking about how he's on his fourth generation of fans. And there's 20 somethings who are going to Springsteen shows again, because like this just, they're catching, they're catching it for the first time. Like they're like, they have now like, they have dove into the Springsteen catalog and it's like a whole new generation of fans for him. And I wonder if that's what keeps him so young because he's 67 and he's playing for like three and a half hours a night. So, um, Maybe there's something to be said about that. Is your is your long term goal to try to try to have that success? Just tap into a piece of it, right? Just like five percent. Yeah, give me ten percent of what he's <laughs> done, and I'm happy. You're happy. I just like I don't know, but I, I but I definitely know I have that itch. I want to be that. I want to. I know I've watched it with a lot of like friends and peers in my music community who buy twenty six, twenty seven. Like they like they've always I, I've seen bands who like saw like the saw the end game and like by 27 28 we're like yeah well that was fun we don't want to tour any more time to like go start our real lives and it's just never been like that for me i think i just have i've have that touring itch where i kind of want to tour till i'm 60 years old um and that's kind of just like i don't really see any other way what reminds me the most about Springsteen when I listen, to, especially to this album in particular, is I feel like every song is very intentionally painting a picture of a moment. Like you're you're in a story as opposed to, you know, yeah. it's just something fun to sing along with. Like Bruce likes to put you in a scenario and be like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And there's something about, I guess, like, 
there was a page I definitely took from his book about track listing and like making sure like the sequencing was very even when, even though we live in a generation that is as John Mayer called it the skip forward generation where the track listing like in sequencing like hardly matters to a lot of people because people are just listening to these things one song at a time or skipping through songs they don't like but I to to, to the to the small people group of people out there who might that might matter to I want to make sure the sequencing in this record was perfect and made sense because to me, like this whole record was kind of this journey of between where we were three years ago and where we are now. And I wanted the record to kind of like feel like an introduction with Figure Me Out and then feel like a to be continued at the end of Wasted. Yeah, I think you get that impression. I feel like and when the party ends is almost like a finale and then Wasted is like a post credits. I actually I agree with that even more. <laughs> Um, that's an even better way to put it. To me, when the party ends was absolutely the kind of the finale, and I, it's one of my favorite songs we've ever done. Um, okay, okay. I'm super super stoked on how, how when the party ends turned out, and yeah, wasted to me is this kind of like, yeah, I guess a post credit, like end credits song. <laughs> It's yeah, definitely. It's the kind of song that if the album ended with "When the Party Ends," you'd be happy. But then you hear "Wasted" and you're like, "Oh, there's more to come." Like, the, I want yeah. more. Yeah. Mm. And apparently, you have twelve. You know, you have some songs already written. So yeah, I got some more songs. <laughs> Um, I guess we should talk about, I guess, the big story. When this album was first announced, the big story was that it almost didn't happen, or at least the band didn't make it to this point. Yeah. So can we go in, can you kind of put us uh, as a fly on the wall in, in was it like one sit-down chat? Was it numerous chats? How? Um, what happened? It was mostly one sit-down chat. So it was no secret for us that, like, we were very disjointed while making this record. There was a lot of apathy for a while. And, like, we just kind of, we were just lost. We just, like, didn't really know where we were going we had all these songs this was about a month or so after figure me out was written and i wrote figure me out and thought like oh man oh man like this is this is a major turning point but then flash forward two months later so i'm it was september of last year we were sitting down at this kind of bar restaurant in our neighborhood and uh we were getting together to talk about I think at the time we were talking about releasing a song back then, and then we were talking about this two, co like do, going on this co-headlining tour, and we just really didn't want to do. And I think no one was really, everyone was a little discouraged and not that excited. Everyone's on different pages, and I was like, for a lot of this album process, like, so with Legendary, sorry, this story has just been super disjointed the entire well, that's time. That's fine, don't I'm, even worry. I think I'm still trying to put it together <laughs> how it happened, but um, with Legendary, we um with that whole album process, we kind of got like a, we got a small little taste of the sweet life and some of the finer things and like had some songs played on, had some songs get a little bit of play in the radio. And we played the I Heart radio festival. And we saw this, a door was open to this whole different world. Um, and that we got to play in for a little while, but we didn't quite get to stay, um, as long as we would have liked to, which was fine because it made me hungrier than ever. Um, but then when it came to starting to make this record, I was approaching it the wrong way. I just kind of kept thinking, oh, well, we need a bigger and better song. Like there needs just there's a single that we're missing. Like we're always just kind of had convinced myself that we were missing one song the entire time. And I'm not sure I would have ever let myself believe that we had the song if this fateful meeting in September about us breaking up <laughs> would have had didn't happen. Um so we we get together 
we're kind of discouraged and we're not really sure like where we stand in a record because we thought Figure Me Out would be a huge turning point, but then we were like, okay, well, we need to find, we, we're still missing a single. We need to find like a producer to make the record with, et cetera. And we just didn't, we were just like, not, we just didn't have, we just didn't quite have it. And we sat down, we started talking about how we didn't really want to do the, the tour we were about to do. And then one thing led to another and the conversation opened up about how maybe we had run our course and everyone was kind of on the same page of like, just like totally lost in the air. Like not really like we just thought maybe that the, that the solution was to just make the record, do it ourselves, put it out there for our fans, announce it as our last album, and then like try some other things for a little while. Um, and that obviously didn't stick because we are still here. Yeah. But why that was so great for us is because it finally, mostly for me, allowed me to let my guard down. I stopped. I took all the pressure off. I wasn't worried about writing some big single anymore. I wasn't worried about like finding someone to produce the record. Some some somebody to produce the record. We let John and Steven produce the record themselves. And they did an unbelievable job. And what's so wonderful about making a record yourselves is that it doesn't sound like anybody else. It literally just sounds like it sounds like the Somerset in its truest form because that's what it is. It's just we made the sounds of this record ourselves. Um, and uh, we um, so we, we we made this record with the intention that it would be the last one. We just like drop, let our worries go and drop the, and just let our guard down and made the record. And then we finished the record sometime around the beginning of December, maybe a little bit after Thanksgiving. Um, yeah, we also, we went from like having spent a year and a half with like kind of no destination to powering through the entire record in like six weeks. Um, and then it was actually a conversation with John that really opened my eyes where John was like, dude, I think your songs, like the songs are here. Like if you've noticed all of these songs kind of sound like thematically, like they're about the end of something or like that they're on the brink of something like a new beginning. All these songs kind of have this, a lot of the songs have the same theme. I think that's what the angle of this record is, is this is a like kind of a, like a farewell to innocence kind of record. So we make the record, we power through it. Um, and then sometime beginning of December, um, we, we, we have a conversation with Josh, um, Montgomery, our guitar player, who at the time wasn't really playing in the band. He was actually back in school for a semester. Um, and Josh, we had kind of played him. We had sent him what we had done with the record and we played it for him. And he called us and he's like, guys, this record's the best work you've ever done. It would be a shame to limit any unforeseen opportunities and not see what could happen. So just why are you guys doing this? And it was funny to have somebody who was obviously such a part of this for so long who is now kind of an outs on the outside of it with a fresh perspective, be able to look at us and be like, you guys are retarded. This record's amazing. Um, what are you guys doing? And we kind of all kind of sat down and talked again and realized like, you know what, maybe there's still something left here and maybe we should just see what we're made of. And then we actually ended up just talking to Josh and he was he was actually finishing his semester at school has had already consciously decided about not going back to take another one. And he kind of jumped back in and joined the band again. So for six months he wasn't even in the band. And then now here we, and then all of a sudden it was like, it's amazing how you go from kind of everything to nothing to nothing to everything so quickly because we had such an 
rigorous touring schedule for Legendary. And then we kind of didn't really do anything for a year and a half. And then we decided we, I remember the phone call we had with our label when we told them we weren't going to break up anymore. And it was just, I was like telling somebody it was Christmas. And um, we, uh, and then all of a sudden it went from nothing to everything. We were just, all of a sudden we were doing photo shoots and album layouts and everything. And now here we are, I think stronger than ever, closer than we've been as individuals in a band in a long time and we're excited about the record coming out and about going on tour and seeing what happens i can understand where you're coming from with you know feeling like you need to go with a bigger song because on from like a critical standpoint listening to you guys develop and develop with legendary it was this album that i felt really kind of put you at the top of your like i don't know your niche within the alternative scene but at the same time whenever a band reaches that point there's always the question of like where do you go from here like how do you go bigger than what you've just done and how exactly. do you do you cross over do you reinvent the wheel I can't imagine how you kind of fight through that. <laughs> yeah, of course. And I think what I learned over time is like, like you can't really, it's, it, you can't really predict, I guess, a, a big song or a hit song. Like, I mean, yeah, there's like, there's some stuff that scientifically works time and time again, but then you get songs like Take Me to Church or Royals by Lord or like We Are Young by Fun. And these are songs that just kind of like, were artists that were so in tune with themselves that people had to start paying attention. And I think like you can't, so you can't really predict there's no like right or wrong way to do it. You just have to like make something that you really think is you and just really believe in it and then ride it out as hard as you can. I have to agree. I mean, that's, I feel like you're right. The theme of the album is definitely moving on and kind of, I guess a lot of the songs kind of tackle that, indecisiveness about like what to do especially all my friends in particular there's a lot of of kind of indecisiveness on the record I think that also comes from the fact that like I think what I also love about calling the record stories for Monday and we've had this conversation as a band is like it was weird to like we've I mean I, I, I talked about how we were on the tour we were touring off Legendary for the better part of 16 or 17 months but in all actuality we have pretty much been touring or making a record in like repetitive cycles since we were 17, 18 years old. Like it's pretty much been nonstop for the last like seven or eight years. Um, this was the longest kind of break we had ever taken. And so I've lived in LA. We're a band from Arizona, but I've lived in LA for the last four years. I've been writing and working on other music and just, I just have like being out here. But right when we finished touring off legendary, everyone else in the band moved out to LA with the idea that we'd be closer and it'd be easier to make this record. Um, we ended up taking a break. And then in actuality, what happened is like, I think everybody like this weird thing happened where we went from like, we like everyone had to like really grow up overnight because it was almost as if the last, like, the seven years prior or whatever was, like, this weird, like, like time-lapse window where, like, nothing kind of really existed. And then all of a sudden we were adults in L.A. and had, like, skipped – for like, had, like, fast-forwarded through seven years of life. And all of a sudden, like, I think there was, like, a level of domesticality and, like, adulthood that, need, like, happened to everyone really fast because we weren't touring or we weren't making a record. And it was, like – very much a normalcy that everyone was kind of getting used to. And I think this was a record to us that was kind of stapled our first break as a band. And I like to call it stories from Monday because I think of Monday as like this new beginning. And I want to, 
And to me, it was as if the previous seven, eight years of being a band was one long weekend. And now this is Monday and it's a new week and it's a new start all over again. Oh, look at that double entendre you got going there. It's a lot, go- lot going on. It, pretty, it goes pretty deep as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's part of what I think I love about this record so much is because it, it still has the pop sound that people expect from the summer set, but I feel like you do get a lot deeper. There are a lot more layers to the, a lot of the songs on this record. Absolutely. I mean, to me, like a song like Missing You is one of the most fun songs on the record. Um, as far as musically, it's very much like it's a it's a definitely like a bass and drums groove and but it's also a song that's kind of bipolar like it's like on the surface it's kind of about two people moving on but you're kind of also questioning whether or not you really believe in that um and i just kind of love i really love the juxtaposition of a song that's musically and melodically very happy and lyrically very has like a a different level of depth it's fun to catch yourself mid-dance and be like oh am i supposed to be sad right now yeah, that's the best. That's the best thing in the world. <laughs> that's what you're looking for. <laughs> I think that was. A, I think that was a page I took after hearing like "Some Nights" by Fun the first time. I was yeah. like, "Oh my god, this song makes is triumphant and makes me want to like drink and have this great time." And then you kind of all of a sudden catch yourself listening to the lyrics and you're like, "Oh my god, this guy's pretty sad." Then I was like, "This is fucking cool." And that's. I think that was like. I mean, amongst many other songs over the course of music history. But I, I think I remember that moment the first time I heard that song. Yeah, I remember hearing that song before. Yeah, when you hear that song before it blows up, you're like, this is a really powerful song. And when it blows up, it's almost weird because you're like, do people understand how like sad part of it is? It's weird. And I, think I, I think I've learned, what I've learned is I love that. Like I've heard that song, you hear like a, it's it's one of those things you, like it's it's amazing to see a song take on like, a different culture, like a drinking culture, or like it comes on in a bar and everybody's like singing along because in that moment they're drunk and they're like in this euphoric kind of bar state singing along to the, uh, uh, and it's like, it's very much like that. But then it also, you realize it's a kind of a, it's a pretty sad song. And that even takes me back to like Wonderwall is like the ultimate bar sing along. And that's, yes. not, and that's like a really sad song. Yeah. Um, and like, like Mr. Jones by Counting Crows. I remember that song came on at a karaoke bar I was at like six months ago. And that's one of my favorite songs ever. But I was in this context where I was surrounded by people who were like drinking and like singing along to the song. And I was like, oh my God, the song is really sad. Like really sad. Yeah. And I think I love that juxtaposition. I mean, Piano Man by Billy Joel is not really a happy song. No. And I think I love that. I think when a song takes on when I think I love when a song becomes bigger than its own self. Yeah. And I feel like it, I think that's part of what makes any of the best songs. That's what makes them work is because it almost makes the medicine of having to face reality go down easier. Cause it kind of distracts you with something pretty. And then it like, it, but it's like, by the way, we're all going to die and things are hard. Of course. And <laughs> that's like, and to some degree, whether people like want to accept it or not, people majority of people resonate with the melody of something first. They can hum you something before they can quite make out what all the lyrics are. Um, and that's why I think a lot of those resonate to, to that degree is like even a drunk person can kind of know what's going on can know what they're like, can kind of sing along. Well, even, even don't stop believing is essentially a sad song with a oh, yeah. great hook. <laughs> much. Yeah. Pretty much. This is a whole different rabbit hole we've gone yeah, down. Yeah, we've gone down like a rabbit Yeah, so the best gonna, songs are sad, gonna, happy songs. I'm going to write a thesis about this. 
I think you've written an album about it. Not bad, actually. <laughs> oh man, what now from a from a songwriting perspective, you've been working on stuff for other people. How do you think trying to get out of like your own experiences in your own head to think for other bands? How has that shaped your own songwriting for this record? Um, it's interesting because I think it was one of the. At times, it's been the best thing that's ever happened to me. At times, it's also been like the worst thing that's ever happened to me. <laughs> but uh, because I yeah, I've been writing songs like when we weren't touring, we were in LA, like as if it was like an actual job. Like I would like most of my friends are songwriters, and like I would get to I just for like for a while I was in a steady rotation of like five days a week I'd get together with people and we'd write a song like that was it. You'd come, you'd go in, and you'd make something out of nothing like it was a magic trick. And it was awesome. It was kind of for a while, it was like kind of going to this songwriting school of pop music where like you kind of learn all the tricks and you learn what really makes certain things work and why certain things don't. And you like, you kind of learn so much about writing songs. And to some degree, that was always so great for me because it allowed me to like get, like write music and take myself, take my head like out of it. Like it allowed me to like, kind of let my guard down and write a song like songs like jean jacket were songs that were just i didn't realize how much of a how 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 much of me that song was until way later because when we wrote it we just powered through that song in like an hour and a half and just like we let it out and we let it go and there was i wasn't overthinking any of it but then sometimes on the other end of the spectrum where that started to haunt me a little bit during this album process was that like for a while i felt like i knew all the rules to the playbook on how to write a song. But to some degree, that playbook isn't necessarily the answer. And it was almost as if for a while on this record, I needed like with figure me out. I had to allow myself to forget everything I've learned over the course of the last couple of years and like go back to what it's like to be a teenager naive in my bedroom, just writing out a song with no rules because like to some degree there are, there are, there are rules to make a perfectly crafted crafted pop song, but then there's always exceptions to the rule. Um, I think I just wanted to be the exception to the rule for a little while longer. Yeah, I, I do think it's funny that you mentioned that about Jean Jacket because when I hear that song, my first impression I was like, "Oh, this is like this is Somerset 101 for me." Like it's for me, percent. But I, but I, but it wasn't written to be a Somerset song, and I didn't realize by not thinking so much about it, I didn't realize how much of myself I had put in it. That's weird how that works, right? That was a song I had written as a pitch for some for a for another group. How many songs on the album are like that? Only three. Only three. Um, Wonder Years, Jean Jacket, and All In were songs that were like written before the Somerset record was even necessarily in like fruition. Like that was like not even those were songs that were written before the process had even technically begun. So what was what was the last song to make the cut then? Figure me out. Figure me out was the very last one. And then you're yeah. like, it's done. Uh, yeah, it was weird. Figure me out was the last one. Wrote a couple songs after Figure Me Out, but they didn't really fit. Like, figure me, they didn't fit in the same realm. Um, figure me out and wasted were the last two, which is ironic because yeah. they were the opposite ends <laughs> of the spectrum. Wrote wasted first, um, and then went on tour for a few weeks. Played Wasted on the tour. Like, there's an acoustic tour we did last year. Um, 
I was like was not necessarily in a great headspace on the tour that we had done. Um, finished the tour um, in Tucson, Arizona, and w- w- got called my mom. It was just so discouraged that I was like, I'm coming to my parents live in Cape Creek, Arizona. I was like, I'm coming to the house. I'm going to stay for like a week or two. I don't really want to make any music right now. Um, I don't really know what's going on. I just have no answers. And then one night in the middle of the night, kind of started writing Figure Me Out acapella. Like I had like with almost the way a rapper would write verses. <laughs> I had like kind of was fumbling around them a bit too, pop for the punk kids, kind of back and forth in my brain without even with no guitar or piano in my hand just kind of writing this verse, just like free form, just all these kind of opposites in a cathartic way of like figuring out who I am and who I've become. And it wasn't until I kind of sat down at the piano in my parents' house at like one something in the morning, my mom's trying to sleep. And I'd played the first chord, the the, the first kind of piano chord in the, yeah. in the, I guess chorus or pre-chorus and saying that I believe there's more to life than all my problems lyric and all of a sudden the whole song made sense Mm. it's funny that you had to go home to write a song about not going home yeah it's (laughs) a song about getting the hell away from there but uh, actually I don't know to some degree it's also a song about not really being allowed to go back there (laughs) yeah or not being accepted if I were to go back there Mm. Um, I had to write it there well, I feel like I feel like anyone that kind of makes that jump, especially in the music and entertainment business, you make that jump to go to the big city or what have you to like further your career. Like you, there's something inside your brain that's like, no, you told everyone back there that you had to leave, so you can't go back there. To some degree, it's not even that. I also think it's a small town in Arizona, and I go back there, mm. and I think they still, I think it's it, it it in the, it's still this mindset that like. The music industry is a very lucrative, very ultimately uh, successful industry yeah. where if you made it, if you're still doing it at all, you've like kind of transcended to this mega level of success. And it's a very hard, very, very frugal industry right now. Um, and I think like there's levels of kind of fraudulence that I think people maybe think about myself when I go back there that like, I think maybe I've led them on to think like some at some points that I've just done better than I have. Have you ever had, I mean, I'm sure you've had this conversation. I I've been working in music for a long time now. Whenever I go home and I run into someone like from high school or that I knew before I got into music, they'll always be like, Oh, so you're, so you must be making a ton of money now, or you must it's be always, it's yeah. always, that's always the first question to me. And I think that's the part that really like sours my taste a little yeah. bit. Is go home. And they're always asking me how much, like about, like the money aspect first, which is weird to me because I just don't quite resonate. Yeah. Um, they're always, that's always the first question. Um, to some degree it's endearing cause I think they want to make sure I'm doing okay. But to yeah. some degree it's also like, well, you don't actually give a fuck about what I'm doing. <laughs> true. True. It's, it's the, the money question is weird. Cause you don't know if it's like, are you doing okay? Or if they're like, Oh, so are you a big shot now? Are you too good for us? Cause you, you yeah. make a ton of money. It's, it's a pretty convoluted question. I'm not really sure like <laughs> what they mean by, it. I don't know if they're, I can't, I think, which is why I just don't put myself in the situation where I'm asked that question anymore. <laughs> I, like I can that. never really tell if they're like looking out for me or if they think I'm too good for them. And I think that's what figure me out is about mm. to some degree. Mm. 
I, I, you know, I'm, I'm only like a year older than you. So I feel like I've also been in the last like two or three years of my life. I've also kind of gone through this thing where you realize that the, the kid who got you, got you to where you are today, the kid that loved music and got you into music, that kid has to like evolve and mature. And you kind of have to stop and ask yourself, like you said, you look up and like seven years have passed and you're like, Oh crap. Who yeah. Am I? So seven years passed out of nowhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, I think that's what a lot of this record is about is like where the, how the hell did we get here? Um, but yeah, you, for a lot of this record also, I think it's like kind of like retrospectively looking back and kind of asking that kid how he would feel about me right now. What do you think his answer is? Uh, he feels a little better about me today than he did a year ago. That's that's all you can hope for, right? I think he feels pretty good about the record. <laughs> I think he's pretty thankful that I finished it. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. You know, got to keep that inner child happy. Yeah, I don't think that inner child... I think a year, a year ago, I don't think that inner child liked me very much. And I think now he does. I do try to... That's kind of how I try to keep myself in check, is I'll be like, what would, I, what would the guy who wanted to get to this point think of what I'm doing right now? Yeah, it's a, it's a question I needed to ask myself more often. I think it's a question everyone needs to ask themselves. That's part. That's something else that I love about this record is it does feel personal, but it's in that way where you kind of have to look in the mirror at yourself as, as you're singing along and be like, oh man, maybe I need to do some of these things. Yeah. I need to take into account who I am, why I'm doing the things I'm doing, who I surround myself with and why. Yeah, absolutely. Well, well let me ask you this. What do you... What do you, is there something that you're aspiring to get out of this album other than, you know, I want the album, you obviously want the album to be a success. You hope the fans like it. You hope you bring new people in. But, you know, we kind of talked about how you got into your head about needing to go bigger and bigger, and then you kind of got away from that. So when you look at Stories for Monday and you think about potential success or potential for outcomes of the album, like what is it that you're hoping happens? <laughs> this is going to. It's going to sound like the craziest answer, but I just don't have any expectations anymore, and it's in the best way possible. That's I had all these expectations in the world, like, but they were weird. Like, I was, like, I was so caught up in, like, kind of trying to play a singles game and, like, have a big song on, like, pop radio or whatever. And, like, I'd love to, obviously, like, I'd, I'd love to have a big, I'd love to have a big song or a big record, but I want it on my own terms. Like, I'd love to, like, I was, uh, I, I've always, like, kind of, in my brain, I've always had this daydream of the moment where I could like be driving next to somebody like a stranger and stopped at a red light and I'd hear my song on the radio in their car. And that's like a weird thing I've always wanted, but I don't necessarily want that the same way I did a year ago. I just wanted to make a great record and now there's no expectation um, really whatsoever. And I think like, especially it's hard to have expectations on a record that almost never happened. I like that. Um, so now it's like I've exceeded the expectations. The thing's fucking coming out. Unless the whole thing's an April Fool's joke because the record comes out on April it's 1st. true. Unless, unless Fearless and Concord are just like, yeah, well, yeah, it's, no, nah, it's not going to come out. And maybe it, like I wake up and it's like some sort of weird Inception daydream or something. But uh, the expectations have been succeeded because we're releasing it. Um, whatever happens after that, is just dessert, I guess. Yeah. Um, but like, I think, uh, I think that's, what's really exciting is cause like kind of, I'm allowing anything to happen and that's really cool. Um, this really, we released figure me out. That was the first thing we put out back in January. And I didn't really realize until then that we hadn't really put out music 
in almost three years at the time. Um, and we had been holding on to all this new art for so long. And then Figure Me Out came out and we put it out in the world. And I'd kind of forgotten what it felt like to like get gratification from people who like, like what you do. <laughs> and that was so exciting because like Figure Me Out was obviously, like I said earlier, the kind of the most therapeutic or cathartic song I'd ever written. Yeah. Um, and then it came out and people, and like, it was, had a kind of a unanimous praise I wasn't quite ready for. Um, from fans of our band to peers, like I was getting phone calls and texts from guys and other bands that I've played with forever. Or people I've looked up to who were like, Hey man, I resonate with that. That is really fucking cool. I'm so excited for you guys. And took on this whole different level of gratification and like vindication that I like forgot about. And I was, and that was like a really exciting moment because now the whole record's going to come out and I don't really know what to expect. Um, but, uh, it's just exciting. Well, it was exciting for me when I first heard Figure Me Out because a lot of bands that kind of fall into that pop rock genre aren't the kind of bands you expect to address things like growing older and like the realities of what that is. And when I heard that, I was like, holy shit, like this is a guy that gets what it's like to be above 25 and still cater working primarily in a world that caters to teenagers. Yeah. And that's a hard thing to, it's a weird thing to rationalize in your brain. And it's a thing that only so many people like understand, you know what I mean? And so when yeah. someone hits it in a song, it's like, holy crap, like finally someone says it. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, kudos to you on that. <laughs> I'm glad, I'm glad that the other people that you've gotten vindication from other artists, because I, I feel like that's something that not a lot, a lot, some people are even afraid to address because they feel like their audience is primarily younger than them. And so they don't know that they'll understand where they're coming from. Yeah. And I think that was, was I think what, so what I guess I mean more so by having peers and other friends like acknowledge the song or reach out about the song was it kind of got me to that place that I was hoping to get to, which was okay people my age, people older than me, like, I think they might understand, they, they like what I'm doing now too. And that's cool. Um, cause it's never been about just playing. I don't, I've never wanted to just be pigeonholed to playing to one group of people. It's like, I want to make music that like my mother would listen to, but also like my neighbor's teenage daughter's school, like middle school class would listen to. Like, I want to make music for everybody. I don't think like I, I think there's something to be said again about Bruce Springsteen being on his fourth generation of fans. I think I want to make music that I don't want to like, I never quite understood the mindset of like trying to like really play to one demographic of people. I get that. And I, I, you're right about Bruce. He, he, the reinvention of Bruce is one of the things that makes him so interesting. Exactly. Yeah. You never know what he's going to do next, but you, but, yeah. but you're always ready to accept whatever that is. Exactly. While we're on the topic of Bruce real quick, what is, is Born to Run the album you, you suggest people listen to first? Is that the one that you tell them to get into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just like, it's quintessential. It's yeah, like exactly. so adventurous and it's, and, and it's like this, like, it's so inviting and adventurous. To me, I think that's the first one. Um, you could argue it on a different ends of that coin of like, maybe Born in the USA is a very pivotal album, but then there's also stuff like Nebraska that's like, I would never tell someone to listen to Nebraska first because it's an acoustic like album recorded on an eight track in his kitchen. But man, if someone were to listen to Born to Run and then follow it up with Nebraska, they would be like, "Holy shit, this guy can do anything." Yeah, yeah, true. 
Nebraska's Nebraska's my favorite one to recommend, but I'm with you. Or it's like it's it's not an it's not a proper introduction because it definitely doesn't show you what everything he's about. Yeah, it's 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 not quite. It's the farthest from anything else he's really done. <laughs> but yeah, exactly, cause it's, it's cause it's so bare. It's so much more like a Dylan record, but uh, it's, um, it's made Nebraska's outside of born to run Nebraska. It's my favorite record of his. It's timeless. It's, 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 I mean, he has a few timeless records, but Nebraska is timeless in a way that records that sound like that usually aren't. <laughs> yeah. I mean, there's not, I mean, it's so little, like it, it's literally recorded on a small <laughs> track in like a kitchen of his home. Yeah, there was, there was a time. By the way, there was a time on this record process back in like August, where I was kind of so lost creatively. I went to Alaska for like three or four days alone. Like I flew to Alaska by myself on like a forty-eight hour notice because it was the only state I hadn't been to and I wanted to go. Flew to Alaska, went to Alaska by myself, listened to Nebraska the whole time, and somehow it gotten in my brain that I was just going to like maybe not finish a Somerset record and just make like a weird dark folk record <laughs> that I'm glad I didn't but oh that would have caught people by surprise yeah I just was so so musically lost that I thought maybe the answer was to do something really really dark and folky I don't know I never did that, uh, was, a, that was a mindset at one point you never know you got you got you said you wanted to get to 60 and still be torn you got like 30 plus years to figure to get one of those out Mm-hmm. You got time. You got time. All right, man. It'll be ten years before I make that record. <laughs> well, I appreciate you taking all this time to talk to me. You guys, you guys do have a tour coming up as well, right? Oh yeah, we're going on tour. Holy yeah. shit! <laughs> <laughs> time for time for all that all that relaxation is about to end, and then it starts yeah. again. We just played. We played two college shows in the last like month or so. Mm. We were playing about hour long sets. We were playing like twelve or thirteen songs. Um. And we were pretty winded, like after the hour-long set. Except we're going on tour and trying to play ninety minutes, eighteen songs, four albums of material. So we're all like sitting here now, like guys, do we have to like go through boot camp for the next couple of weeks? Because like we need to get our tour shape back on. Oh, I can't even imagine. Hey, yeah, how hard is that? How hard is that first hour back out on stage? Ooh, the first hour of the first one was tough. We were like, <laughs> I forgot how this is. Um. And when now we're trying to like play for God, honestly, maybe it's trying to play 18, 19 songs a night. Like that could put us at like an hour 40. So we'll see. Dang. That's, you know, I like to hear that though, because you know, again, like it's not something, not all pop artists go for the big thing, but you guys have so much out material. And I feel like every Somerset fan has their own album and like set of songs that are there. Yeah. That's, I, I totally agree with that. When, and that's, what's been kind of fun is we have kind of different pockets of fans, even within our own fans. Um, we come to shows and we get people who love Everything's Fine, which is amazing to me. Um, we got people who still really love Love Like This, this record made by a bunch of 18-year-olds who had no idea what they were doing. And then there's like a lot of Legendary fans. Well, I mean, I think I think Legendary is going to be an album that people are talking about for quite a while. I don't know. It, it set a new standard in pop rock for me, and I feel like a lot of other people awesome. feel that Thank way. You. So, thank you. I think this album. I think this album is is better, but I think it's it's different. It's not quite as power pop as legendary. Not film. quite. It's not. I wanted to make sure this one was a little. I guess is mature I the word? I I don't. Mature to some degree matures the word, but I also hate <laughs> using mature. Unfortunately, because I think so many people have used mature the wrong way that it kind of yeah. makes that puts like that word puts a bad taste in my mouth. Like, yeah, we've matured in this record. I think there's something 
maybe more emotional, maybe moodier about this record. It's still very fun, but there's something just a lot a deeper um, about the record compared to our other ones. I think there's something there's a lot of there's something very nostalgic about this record, and I think this record to me just kind of sounds like the way I want the end of Innocence to sound. So, so what comes after the end of Innocence? Couldn't fucking tell you. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Haven't figured that part out yet. <laughs> but, but it's coming. It's coming. Yeah. I mean, I've got, actually, I've gotten more songs. They're good. <laughs> I think they're really good. I think I've just struck a chord on like a new batch of songs that might be the best ones that I've ever done. But mm. would you yeah, say they would you say they build on the ideas from Stories to Monday? Are they a little different sonically? What's what's happening with them? I they don't have they don't really have a shape sonically yet. They're just mm. songs, which is exciting. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I think they just sound like the sequel to Stories from Monday. I think they just sound like whatever is supposed to happen next. Um, they're older. Um, I don't know. I got out of a relationship right around the time we finished the record, and I think like some of it stemmed from that. I think there's also songs that kind of almost feel like this kind of idea of having finally finished the record, and now it's like these songs about kind of just like like there's like a new form of adventurous to these songs that are like kind of having accepted the fact that this record is done. And now that these, now I, now these other things can exist. Yeah. There is a, there is a strange, almost 2.0 vibe to stories from Monday where it's like, this is a, like the next step, the next step along the way Yeah, while still being firmly rooted in everything that's come beforehand. Yes. I don't, I don't know how you strike that balance, sir, but well done. Thank you. <laughs> uh, so when does tour kick off? Uh, start kicks off April thirteenth in Anaheim, California, at House of Blues. And you and I are seeing each other like a week after that here in Mini Minnesota, which is nothing is nowhere near as cool as California. Ah, yes, Minnesota. Where am I playing? Minnesota? Marcy? Play, Bur- Burnsville, Minnesota. Where? What, what venue am I playing in Burnsville? I have. I couldn't tell you. I, off the top I of should my head. know. I should know these things. <laughs> I don't. I. I don't even know. The That's garage. Not... It's called the garage in Burnsville, Minnesota. God, I didn't even. I don't even. I've never. Okay, so I've never played there. That's exciting. Well, there you go. So it'll be. I've never been there. I just moved here from Boston like a month ago. So. Okay. What are you doing in Minnesota? <laughs> the company that I work for, Hollis, oh, our, our, our headquarters are here. So okay. we just opened an office in downtown. And uh, yeah, I had actually, so the reason that we're even doing this is because I, I also write for Substream on the side. And the, yes. the critic that Substream has assigned to review the album like reached out to me one day and was like, have you heard this record? And I was like, no, it's, it's early February and they won't give it to me yet. And she was like, you should have Brian on the show because you need to talk about this album. And I was like, okay. And I reached out to Heather and she was like, yeah, let's make that happen. Oh, that's awesome! Let's well, I'm happy do to do it. This is definitely, <laughs> I like. I'm, I'm, I'm very grateful for interviews like this where we can just talk. So yeah. Thank you for giving me one of these. I've been doing a lot of, a lot of phoners recently. <laughs> some are better than others. I can imagine. So, I just like some are more conversational than others, and those feel good. Yeah, that's the thing I try to strike, and I feel like, in my experience in covering a band and kind of your the scene that you guys tend to roll in, there's a lot of interviews you end up doing that are kind of repetitive in a lot of natures, and I always want to know about the person behind the music as opposed to like, how do you write a song or how's tour going or yeah, absolutely. Know, well, you know, it's stuff like that. I want because I I understand that at the end of the day, you're an artist just like anybody else, and maybe you make pop music, but that doesn't mean that like you're not as deep as you know, say someone that writes 
considerably much more like indie music or whatever happens to Certainly. be. Uh, yeah, so I try to keep you out of that pigeonhole. <laughs> I mean, hey, like, I mean, I listen to as much indie rock as anybody, but sometimes indie is also just a synonym for shitty. <laughs> yeah, it's, you know, if you don't get it, it's indie. That's that's kind of how it works. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. Um, but yeah, man, I, I think Stories from Monday is great. I'm excited to hear people think it, and I agree with you. I, I did think when I saw the April 1st release date, I was like, is this a joke? Because they could just drop this album as a surprise at any point with an April 1st release date. True. Or we could just not drop it at all. Just not do it. Uh, <laughs> no, it's it exists. I've heard it. By the time yeah, this is okay. out, the rest of the people will have heard it. And you sure. you think the best song is Jean Jacket, which I I find interesting. Um, I think that's my favorite. I think that right now. <laughs> that I like that that one is. I've held on to that one for oh, coming on three years now, and I think it's awesome to me that that one has kind of fine wined itself. Do you think it'll get a? Is that going to be the next song you guys release? Do you know what's coming out next? Uh, it is. Well, so by the time this is, when this is out, there yeah. will be a, that, there's a video coming out for that. There's, there will be a song. Oh, wow. By the time this is out, people will have heard that song and seen yet another music video for that song. How is this, did you guys just do three videos or are there more on their way? We did three videos for now. I'd love to do as all with, um, a gentleman named Daniel Carberry, who also we worked with on the lightning in a bottle video many years ago. Um, Daniel and I, we're about the same age, and I just, we, we click, and I really like making videos with him. Um, by the time this is out, people have seen the video, but I'll tell you that, as we're talking, this video is very different than the other two, um, and I think it's probably the coolest video. <laughs> In my eyes, I think it's the coolest video we've ever made. I See, I just had that thought about missing you, where I was like, I really like this video. I like I, the direction. So that was, I mean, I, I mean, I guess just to kind of keep the talking, but uh, <laughs> the missing you video... I'm very proud of all the videos we've done so far. The Missing You video, like, visually and aesthetically was, like, something I was very proud of. Um, that was something when we first sat down with the label after having finally finished the record, and we sat down and we talked about, okay, let's roll out the record. I think it's important to me to see how many songs we could release before the record came out and how many corresponding videos we could make with each song. Um, I've been trying to keep up this idea of the first time someone hearing these songs before the record comes out, they're also seeing, they're kind of seeing something at the same time. Um, Cause I think as you were kind of, were talking, there's a lot, there's a, certainly I think some, in my eyes, a very cinematic kind of aspect to this record. I think it's very much kind of place and time. Yeah. Um, so I wanted as many songs as we were allowed to kind of have a corresponding video so that when people heard the song for the first time, they kind of got to see something with it. Um, figure me out. I want figure me out. We were very, it, it was very important with figure me out for people just to kind of see us as a band playing in a circle with like a kind of a cool aesthetic and kind of with the metaphor of like, I wanted, I, I wanted the metaphor of that video to kind of be like, we're a band again and we're just five people and we're just going to play right here in a circle and you're going to see us. I know you'd spent a while. And I think that the, that video was very much like a, our way of saying, Hey, we're back. Um, with missing you, that song to me has always been this kind of bipolar love song kind of representing all the trials and tribulations of a handful of relationships I've been in. And I wanted that song visually to also kind of correspond with that. So there's these kind of projections of sunrises and sunsets and thunderstorms and rain and all this stuff and a handful of different girls throughout the video. And I think like, to me, it was kind of supposed to, supposed to be this metaphor of the trials and tribulations of being in a relationship and the ups and downs. Um, 
Jean Jacket video is very different. There's no performance. Um, it's more of like a little six minute mini movie. Uh, and I think it's probably the most excited one I've made. It's very different. Uh, I, that sounds awesome. It sounds, yeah, I like, I like when bands skip away from the performance to do something a little bit more theatrical. So I dig that. Yeah. <laughs> so this one, so the Jean Jacket video is pretty much all narrative and no performance. I can't wait to see it, man. Can't wait to see it. Yeah. I, I do kind of hope there's a video for all my friends at one point. Cause I feel like that's good. That's going to be one of those summer anthems that kids are coming I have back to. I haven't, I'm very, <laughs> I'm very invested in making something that's really happened to me in the last like year and a half. I used to just like, the the art aspect of a record and the video aspect of a record never used to be quite as important to me as it has become in the last year and a half. I think I've just like spent a lot of the last year and a half kind of like studying and appreciating different other aspects of art and trying to get as much into that as I could. That's why I think it was like some of the some of the artistic rollout and the layout and the album cover were very were much more just meticulously thought out this time than they have been in the past. Um, and that also goes with the videos. I just like, I wanted to work with Daniel again um, on every video and like really go work on it hands-on together, the both of us and kind of plan these videos out. I definitely have another idea for an all my friends video that I'd love to make at some point. I'd hope it would see the light of day. I think it would be the probably the goofiest video we've ever made, but I think uh, I have a I have an all my friends video idea if it ever got to the point to make it. All right. Well, then I'm fingers crossed on that front, man. <laughs> all right. I'll let you go. I know I'm taking up like an hour of your time. Oh, you're fine. I got nothing going on today. <laughs> I uh, I leave for South by Southwest in the morning, so all I have is like laundry. Pretty much. Yeah. <laughs> All right, man. Well, I, I hope you have a, I hope I wish you the best with this album. It comes out April 1st. People will hear this just before that. So if you haven't pre-ordered yet, you probably have like 36 hours to do so. Yeah. 36 <laughs> hours to pre-order. Yeah. Help them, help them get those first week numbers. Awesome. <laughs> All right, man. You, uh, I'll see you in April here in Minnesota. And before then, you know, just have, a, have a good time, man. Yeah. All right. Thank you. I'll see you in, I'll see you in Minnesota. <laughs> All right. Talk to you soon. Talk to you soon. Yeah. Bye.